Hey, it's episode two. I'm surprised we got this far. Yay! Episode two. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, all the camera equipment looks great, and you can hear sound of the other ear now. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. One indeed. episode is all it took to get max your quality. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's really nice. It's I'm I'm happy to be here filming episode two. Yeah, what do we got good, on the man. agenda tonight, man? Well, first I gotta do the greeting. We do. That's right. Go ahead. Fire away. And welcome, one and all, on YouTube and in podcast land, you are listening to the Tangent Kings. Roll it! Everybody right. and welcome to this uh, second episode of the Tangent Kings. I am G. Michael Francis, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Mr. Banks. How you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, man. I'm uh, just got off work a little while ago, and I am uh, happy to be filming tonight. Uh, we got a pretty good show lined up tonight. Oh, we do. We got uh, some uh, fun. Yeah, we got some fun stuff to wrap up from last week, and we got some uh, fun little tangents to go on this week. So we're gonna lay it on you guys real quick. So, and it should we, be uh, where are we at tonight. Well, let's start off with a quick recap on the social trifecta. Uh, this idea, which you know, I don't, I'm pretty sure I'm not the originator of the idea, but it just sort of flowed into my head. As a society where the church, the state, and the family are working together for the common good. And last week, mm -hmm. we briefly touched on the role of the church, which I, I said was you know, the role of magister, you know, which yeah. defines the rights and limits of man. Uh, and yeah. to be clear, I want to reemphasize from last week, we are not saying that the church should have policymaking power. That power yeah. lies with the state. Now, yeah. And to clarify... You know, it's not like we're asking for a Christian version of Iran, you know, with our version of the yeah. Ayatollah, who decides both religious and social policy. No, yeah. it the church is more uh, an advisor. Yeah. Only that ad that, that advisor speaks for the manufacturer of man. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh well, the one thing I was just going to interject there too is that it's almost like. And I think we were kind of touching on this a little bit last week, but I think it's worth pointing out and making clear that the church is more of it's it's more as if it's a guiding light. It's not supposed to be the state itself, right? It's it's supposed to be like a torch in the dark, right? For other people, it's it's supposed to be the representative of we us within us, right? We're, we're supposed to be the representative of Christ on earth, right? Because ultimately, all authority, or that, that sorry, I was going to go into a Starship Troopers quote, and I don't think that applies here. But what I was going to say is, like, God's a supreme authority, and as ambassadors of Christ, we're supposed to represent Christ on earth, and, you know, 
we're being guided by the Holy Spirit as Christians, right, as, as believers. And similarly, the church is supposed to be a guiding light to effectively the world, right? It's not supposed to become the state, um, which is what you start, like you were saying, it, it starts to, when, when, when the state becomes the church, right? Or that when the state in and of itself gets to decide religion or is the religion and dictates everything, that's more of a theocracy. That's more of a totalitarian society and regime. Exactly. But that's that's what I wanted to interject, but uh, continue, please. That is a good point. And before we continue on, you know, we'll leave the church side of that discussion to rest, but before we move on, I totally forgot that what I was really going to start this episode with was uh, a quick birthday shout-out to Ricardo Montalban, who would have turned 100 on Wednesday, no, but he sadly is no longer with us. He passed away in 2009, but I just want to say happy birthday. <laughs> there we go. I had to get we that really off my like, chest. Just actually have, we, we really have to have like the actual clip just cut into that or the sound effect play when you do that. That's Already done. One, yeah. But in I, was telling, I was telling him before the show that we, uh, I first got introduced to Ricardo Montalban, and if my brother's watching, which he most certainly will be, uh, he was, we, we got introduced to him from watching the third Spy Kids movie, which I do not recommend watching. It hasn't aged well, and even a year after its initial release, however many years ago, it had not aged well. It's not worth watching, but he was in that, and he was in the second Spy Kids film, and then he's obviously done other things, but that's how... I get introduced to him in, the, in perhaps not the most glamorous of films, but anyway, he's a very talented actor, and uh, the world is a much poorer place without him around. Well, yes, and indeed, and happy birthday, Ricardo Montalban, seriously. But uh, yep, yeah, thank you, sir. I know thank you can you, hear me. Anyway, <laughs> but anyway, let's move on to the rule of the state, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Because we kind of touched on it a little bit last week on what does the state in society play, right? Where do human rights come from? And we've touched a little bit on that. I know we kind of touched on that on some of our uh, test episodes we've done where what are human rights? Where do they come from? Does the state define human rights? Just for example, does the state define human rights? Does God define human rights and that's something that's bound within each person that it's not something up to an individual state or government to ultimately decide because those are kind of the clashing views but my mic those are kind of some of the clashing views that we're dealing with in in society right now like where where do if the state defines rights doesn't mean it can doesn't that if you start to think about it doesn't mean the state can arbitrarily define anything and everything Why exactly the tell you yeah, yeah that, why can't and the that's, state tell you – oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, and that's basically what the French Revolution was. No, it's – Exactly. Yeah, yep. the state defines what – oh, yeah, the state defines what man's rights are. I got my uh, definitions mixed up here in a – or my words mixed up there for a second. But yeah. The, yeah, the whole point of the French Revolution was that the state will now define the rights of man – now, in this sort of vacuum where there is no God and we have to define it for ourselves, which yes. is interesting when you think that even the French, uh, up to a point, were allowed to carry pistols 
for self-defense, for example, and now it's hard to get a permit for a Nerf gun, practically. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was a joke. I, I don't think it is actually that hard oh, yeah. to get a Nerf gun in France, if they even sell them there. Yeah. I, I could ask my contacts, but... I was using bro- hyperbole to make a point. Yeah, it might, it's funny. My um, my brother's going to be watching. Again, I referenced him for the second time this episode. I'd say, like, I don't have a permit for my Nerf gun. And there it is. He used to get on me. He still gets on me to this day for playing around with Nerf guns like they're real firearms. I know the difference, people. It's fine. But, yes, I'm. it's a joke. Anyway, please continue. Like you were saying that... The French Revolution was talking about human beings, right, are the defining point of your own rights, right? Ultimately, the state, it's self-referential, right? That I'm all powerful. No one can stop me. I'm the ultimate authority. Therefore, I can make and I control the military. I control everything. So, therefore, I can define society and people and rights and anything that I want it to be. And if I decide today that it's evil to eat a sandwich, just for example— it's evil to eat a sandwich. And the next day, because I'm a state, I could say it's good to eat a sandwich and everyone should have a sandwich, right? When you use exa- – when when you're – not even just point of reference. When morality is totally subjective, you can just flip it around on a whim, which is the problem. When, when you don't have any kind of objective framework for your – not only morality but also your whole uh, – a frame of reference in reality your whole philosophical underpinning is whoever has the power whoever controls the state gets to define yeah, everything it's, about it's makes right and everything else exactly that's exactly what it is yeah, it's on in the case of you know la république it's whoever gets the most votes Gesundheit. quite literally <laughs> very fun yeah yeah that that's a little bit ironic if you that's think about it way. you know i say something in french and you responded german <laughs> I just realized that. Oh, my French friends are gonna long, hate me. Uh, <laughs> a long word like blah 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 blah. I'll be like Gesundheit. Bless you. Yes, yeah. Well, anyway. Gesundheit doesn't actually mean bless you, but it doesn't. No, I. But anyway, it means good health. But anyway, no. Um, no, but it, but it's like that though. It's a, it's this idea that might makes right that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what it does what's, is what's it... the phrase that. What's the phrase that that, that uh, Jafar used in Aladdin when he was dressed up as the old man? He says, "You remember the yeah. golden you, rule." Yeah, you've heard of the golden rule, the haven't you? Whoever has the gold makes yeah. the rules. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of the same. It's a it's a it's a long. I like it when you do that voice. You should do it again for a meme. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> it, it's 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 along the same kind of vein, right? Whoever has all the power, who pulls all the strings, gets to decide everything that. I get to decide how the world works pretty much, right? Or even you know, what the majority of people you... say. It comes down yes. also, yep, that's uh, exactly especially right. in a, a Republican model, you know, it's just whatever uh, whatever the majority of people say. And that, mm-hmm. you know, the, in that particular period, I'm having a hard time talking tonight. I need coffee. Oh, you're fine. Just, but yeah, whatever. You're doing fine. Keep going. Yeah, you know, what? Whatever the majority of people think in that particular period of time, no, that's what's good and right. It, in effect, it turns the majority yeah. into a god. Yes, which is one yes. of the dangers of having a uh, a secular republic. 
Yeah, or uh, maybe a better way of putting it too, I would say is the danger of just a pure democracy, right? Is exactly. You, I lo- because when you when you're it's it, it, the problem with just a pure democracy is that it's the mob rules, right? If that if you're doing popular votes for everything just just for example in terms of running an election if it's literally just a popular vote for everything it's like well if one something happens in society or maybe some kind of for example some big story happened or there's some kind of movement that passes through society then all of a sudden everyone's supposed to say oh we're going to totally vote in all these you're going to vote in say we're going to vote in a ocean ocean candidate right we're going to vote an open ocean candidate in because that's the trend right now and then next year it's like oh nope nope the trend's shifting everybody's shifted so now we're going to vote in a uh, ecologist candidate right and then it's like when you have just that it's like there's no it's who's at whatever the popular opinion is that's what happens right and that's i i know in, in the united states the founding fathers designed the system so that it wouldn't operate like that which it's it's worked very well for you know the existence of our country obviously but it's because you know we've got a representative republic we're not a we're not a democracy but it's it, it it's like that idea though there's there's a difference right um versus on the, you know on the other end of the extreme of the spectrum you might have a monarchy where uh the king and his nobles decide everything for the country which also doesn't work right you've got this system where you've got uh you know, you've got your strong central government and the people also, when it's when the system works, is it gives people, everybody, a chance to say something and everyone gets a chance to have their vote impact the system, whether you're, maybe not maybe not so much today because we know there's a lot of fraud and cheating going on and we've kind of suspected that for, you know, the last several election cycles that we know there's yeah. got to be some kind of fraud going on we yeah. kind of know that that's not new but my whole point in saying is like people it it's one of the best systems ever devised because from certainly in comparison to all the others that we've had over you know several thousand years it's, it certainly seems that way that if whether you're from a smaller rural county in say for example wyoming versus a big city like seattle and new york You've got the system supposed to work in a way where both people have both um both groups have a an equal equal voice, which means that the people can hold their government accountable, right? Um, versus tying into what we were talking about initially, that um, which is great, so that the state doesn't get to a point where it can just define whatever it wants. That um, people can define it, but they're also there's so many checks and balances in place that no one particular group can control everything. Um, because if, if there is a one group that can control everything, why would they allow their opposition to win? Well, they obviously wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, you're pretty much right on the money there. Check, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I my train of thought sort of derailed there for a second, but um... oh, that's okay. That's okay. I'm kind of I'm taking this you know this tangent. We're kind of going off and kind of expanding it into a bunch of different areas. But that's kind of the central idea there. So, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of interesting too. I kind of to as another aside, I, I thought of this as well that it's interesting that for for society, American society or Western civilization as it stands right now, for society that seems to 
you know, in accordance with popular opinion, seems to think that morality, just for example, is totally subjective. Like everything's subjective, meaning is subjective, nothing means anything, and everything means everything that I can subscribe. Any, any feeling that I want, any reality that I have or that I desire, I can just exert it. I can just say, yeah, well, this is my reality, this is my truth, this is the way it is. That, and then that, that's, that's, that is in a, that my reality that I subscribe means that objective reality ha adheres to that or that if I wish that I am a canary, right? Or I imagine myself, I tell everyone I'm a canary and I'm, I can fly and I could do all this stuff, right? The way society seems to act is, wow, that's just so true. You must be a canary. Obviously, common sense kicks in. It's like, well, no, you're not. You're not a canary because that doesn't make sense with reality, right? But just from a philosophical standpoint, is that if I just assert that that's the way it is, or I feel this way, since I'm my own point of self-reference, therefore it's true, right? And when I say that, I'm not saying that people don't have the ability to decide and have different opinions, decide for themselves what they want to believe. That's perfectly fine. I'm not saying that that's, that's incorrect. What I'm saying is that anything that I want in here, I can just define on a whim. And then that, therefore, that's true. You know, that's postmodernism, right? That there's, there is the idea that there is no truth. So therefore, it's all meaningless. It's all subjective. That's the whole point I'm trying to make there, right? And the problem is, is that when you have this worldview that everything is subjective, there is no meaning, there is no morals, there is no justice, there's no right or wrong, there's no good or evil, right? When you don't have any of that, you can't condemn anything. Society, I mean, in general, doesn't work that without that because it's like, well, how human beings operate is that we have the sense of morality, right? But my whole point in mentioning all of this is that when, when you don't have um, a basis for objective truth or moralities or ethics, right? All you have is just opinions going back and forth. Now, people still act like they're still objective ethics, which is ironic considering that a lot, that by and large, we don't, people act like everything's subjective and then we live in a reality where that's not the case, right? We say, oh, you, the truth is what you think it is. Not, maybe not as much as we used to, like maybe like five, six, seven years ago, but that's still kind of the norm, right? People still act like that, but then it's like, no, everything, everything is, there is objective, like racism is objectively wrong, uh, pedophilia is objectively wrong, or this is objectively wrong, that's objectively wrong. So this is kind of this illusion that people believe in this subjective morality. The reason why I'm mentioning that is that with this larger discussion we're having, right, is the, you know, the role of the state, the role of the church and society, you're inevitably kind of get back into this discussion of what is right and wrong. And that's the interesting point I was trying to bring up is that all this together, what is your point of reference for what is moral and just? If, is a, if everything is subjective, then why can't the state come in and just redefine everything? And then one day that, like I said earlier, sandwiches are good. The next day sandwiches are bad. The next day the sandwiches are just, we don't talk about them because sandwiches don't exist because that's what the state decide, right? So it's all these pieces in play where everything is, how shall I put it? It's, it's like, if everything is subjective, why can't the state come in, right? Versus Thank you, Orson Welles. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, where everything's tied. It's 1984. It's Animal Farm kind of stuff, right? Versus, on the other hand, um, you've got Christianity, which is operating out of a frame where there is objective right and wrong. There are morals. These are laws laid down by God that gives you a framework to operate on and determine objectively if something is, you know, 
is if it's right or if it's wrong. It gives you a framework there. And that also means that the state can't just step in and arbitrarily redefine everything. And it also implies that, like it's written in the, in the, um, in, in the Constitution, the Founding Fathers wrote that there are certain unalienable rights, like your human rights are written on your heart. They're part, they're imbued within your being, and you don't get to, um, uh, you don't get to change this because that's that's part of who you are. So whether you're on a desert island or you're in the middle of a capital city in a major empire, it doesn't matter because your rights are still the same. Versus if the state just defines everything, if everything is subjective, if you're in the capital city of the empire, right? The state mm-hmm. tells you what your rights are, but if you're in an island, the st- there's no state to tell you what your rights are, so you have no rights, right? That's this whole framework in play. There's all these little pieces that kind of add up to this great big whole of what is your foundation for not only reality, but your whole framework of thinking and and what's your whole foundational framework, right? Because if you just – everything is subjective. You've got no foundation for anything, literally nothing at all. If you've got a framework of a benevolent god – and a moral framework that changes how you interact with reality and that changes how you see human beings and ultimately where the role of the of the of the church and the state uh play within that yeah that's that's actually very good uh i was just going over my show notes and i have you know which leads us into what i some of my thoughts you know with the role of the state in society and that is its primary function is the protection of the rights of man not its definition but its protection and that can also be divided among you know the national government your local governments and that's part of the reason why we have those uh, as you said for uh, as you said earlier you know you, the, there's this danger especially in a direct democracy where you have this large central government which impl- uh, which enforces its interpretation of reality on anyone, whether you live in Seattle or if you live in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Now, there's this danger that that danger is present if you don't have state and local governments. My point being yeah. that you, you see mean. my point, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. So yeah, and it. Uh, and you can you can get into this larger discussion of whether there's a god or not. That can, that's a, that's a fantastic debate to be had. Um, but it's like this is just all I'm trying to get across is what starts as sort of your foundational. Uh, what what's the phrase that they use in geometry? Postulates, right? That there's certain postulates you accept as just this is that this is just accepted as true it's not no no proofs are offered with this postulate it, the postulate guides you and gives you a framework to start using and proving truths which you know lead into the rules of logic obviously but these are just your foundational frameworks that's why i like talking about philosophy is that what is the worldview that you're starting with what what kind of assumptions are you making that build up your whole frame of thinking and arrive you to the present conclusions that you're at right now. That's interesting. Understanding the why. Why does this person believe this? Why does this person think this way? Why are these group of people so religiously fanatical when it comes to politics, right? Why do so many of these, you know, like there's, there's so many examples you could list, right? Why do communists hate the rich and yet they seem to just 
envy the rich. They don't really hate them. They just hate them because they have all the stuff they want and they just want to steal from them, right? They don't care about the poor. They just want to displace the rich. What's underpinning all of it? So it's 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 a longer discussion. You know, there's there's so many other pieces you could tie into it. But yeah, that's that's pr- yeah. primarily what um, we're kind of talking about here. Yes, but I'm also talking about you know from the purview of you know you have the church which acts mm-hmm. as the voice of god defining rights yes and for that now we're moving into a discussion of the primary role of the state which is to protect the rights of men and it does this by providing law enforcement and a military you know the law enforcement to protect you know one's property you know one's right not to get mugged into the uh, mugged in the street and then the military which protects the the borders protects the nation as a whole that protects the rights of the nation as a whole uh, you see where i'm going mm-hmm. yeah but uh yeah yeah so i want to i want to mention a quote um i don't know if my friends uh to my friends that i i go to the pub with very often um i'll just leave them unnamed here but if they're listening to the podcast you know who you guys are and one of them my you know i <laughs> I, well, I jokingly call him Commando Gandalf because he's kind of like, I'm half Gandalf, half Commando. Anyway, so I, I hope he appreciates the comparison. He's a fantastic guy. You know who he is if he's listening to this. And he put it like this. He described it as, and I'm going to paraphrase him just a little bit here, but I'm going to kind of pitch it to, pitch, put it this way, is that in order for society to function, right, you've got this, you have to have this ring around it, right? You have to have the way he put it, you've got sheep and you've got sheep dogs that protect the flock, right? The sheep dogs Indeed. follow the the follow the shepherd, right? And the sheep are the the population. They're not totally stupid, but they need someone to protect them to protect them from from threats foreign and domestic, right? You, you precisely you internal threats or external threats. You got the role of law enforcement, paramedics. First, just first responders and general firefighters. And you've got the military, right? So the military is ex- responding largely to external threats. And then you've got first responders responding largely to domestic threats, right? And you've got the Department of Homeland Security. You get the CIA. You get the FBI. In terms of function, what they're supposed to do, you know, there's there's overlap with those agencies um, between kind of domestic and foreign threats. But it's like it's, it's maintaining the integrity of of the union right it's protecting people so they have the freedom to be able to do what they want so they don't need to worry about threats they don't need to worry about violence they don't need to worry about invading countries or ballistic missiles being fired by authoritarian regimes just for example my brother the other night made a joke about how often i say police states and authoritarian regimes he's going to make a he's going to make a drinking game out of it anyway we all have our quirks so but Mm -hmm. my point is is that they protect it. They hold they hold the integrity up. And if you don't have that, you've just got a flock of sheep that are not only very easily deceived, but they're also totally vulnerable to any threats, right? If someone wants to steal your well and you live in a desert, like you live in a desert and your family lives with you in the desert and desperately need water, some thieves come along and take the well and they put armed guards there so you can't take it back, your family's going to die. Versus... You put your own guards there, and you protect the well, and those thieves come, but the armed guards repel them, right? Then you secure secure not only the survival of your family, but 
you're also maintaining your your existence, your way of life. Exactly. And I, I'm actually just kind of going off of St. Thomas Aquinas, who uh, mm. uh, he had this he had written down uh, uh, four legitimate reasons for taxes, which I'm translating into uh, uh, roles for the state. Uh, uh, for The four legitimate functions of taxes, for example, are, you know, the uh, recompense for public servants uh, to provide a military, to provide law enforcement, and in our modern age, we could also throw in first responders, fighter fighters, and a lot. And I, I am a little rough on this. I'm pretty sure the last one was, you know, it can, the state can also provide, if it is able, you know, a sort of basic welfare system, which is meant towards a rehabilitation and is meant for the rehabilitation of families. You see what I'm saying? Well, that's fine. I mean, we, we to, you know, to give the listeners some context, too, right before we were shooting this, me and Mike were talking, we're sitting down, we're talking, and we're talking like, well, you know, we're, we're discussing a little bit on state welfare, right? And what role does the state play in trying to help its citizens, right? And what, you know, Mike was saying, you know, having something to help people in a temporary, like temporarily give you a, a handout, right? Or not, not a handout, I should say, but a better way of putting it is I'm going to give you a hand up. And now that you're exactly. on your feet, you're fine. You don't need me to help carry you right now versus you're always getting a handout and you don't need to do anything. You don't need to change. Just literally just keep receiving, keep receiving, keep receiving. I'm always, the state becomes Santa Claus, but the reality is that it's not just Santa Claus. It's like Santa Claus is, is cuffing you with golden handcuffs saying, you need to survive, rely on me to survive and don't do anything that'll piss me off and do You can do whatever you want. Just keep taking a handout for me. Keep voting my vote, support me in return. And then I'll keep giving you these free handouts and just, you don't need to change kind of thing. Right. So it's like, well, I mean, if I'm getting free handouts, I don't need to worry about being an ethical person. If you think about it. Right. If I'm getting free handouts, I'm not, I don't need to maintain a job, right? I, this is a bigger discussion on other things, but just like I don't need to be an ethical person because there's nothing holding me accountable for being unethical. I get paid no matter what. Um, uh, what what happens to me? If I still got all my resources handed to me, I don't need to change. I can be a dick if I want to be. I can sell drugs on the side and if I want to be. Anyway, getting back to what you were saying specifically that we were having a discussion on um, – how much is too much a little bit right and then we started shooting so i just wanted to give the viewers a context in that without going off on another on an additional tangent uh when you were making your point so anyway please please continue well i mean i think you pretty much covered what i was trying to say before my uh my train of thought not only derailed it crashed and burned and hopefully i found a way to edit it out <laughs> but that's fine <clears throat> oh excuse me yeah yeah you have to excuse no, me I, I, I think, I think, yeah leave it yeah leave it in there i i thought it i thought it was fine i thought you were illustrating your point pretty clearly and then you're getting it across very well so i think yeah i think it's completely reasonable um Obviously, you that both you and the viewers can tell. I get really excited talking about this stuff, so I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I've got a source to like share all the all the stuff that I know." 
at present moment. All the stuff that I know about this stuff, I'm like, oh, this is exciting. But anyway, uh, I, I love I love this stuff. But yeah, it's it's um, just to kind of very briefly just uh, mention what I was saying. It was just with the welfare. And some of this is based on some of the things that the philosopher Stefan Molyneux has said. He runs, for those of you who aren't acquainted with him, Stefan, let me restate his name, Stefan Molyneux. I'm getting excited talking about it. Stefan Molyneux runs uh, Free Domain Radio, which is the largest philosophy conversation on the internet, and recently just had his YouTube channel taken down um, totally without warning or context from YouTube. And he's available on BitChute and FreeDomain.com. I'm just doing a plug for him because I watch him all the time, and a lot of these ideas, um, in ter- certainly in terms of um, kind of like what welfare kind of does to people, since we're on that tangent, that he, a lot of, he was pointing out a lot of the things that I'm kind of saying about um, welfare, so I'm not, I don't want to take his ideas about it. it. It just shaped a lot of my own thinking. But like I was saying, in terms of ethics, right, that uh, the, the point I was making was that you're not really prompted to be an ethical person unless there's some kind of accountability in place. If you have to have a job, right, to make your income, to take care of your family, you have to show up on time, you have to work hard, depending on the job, you can maybe, that, that there's a sliding scale of what's expected of you, but you have to meet certain requirements. If you're in customer service, you have to really be a pleasant ethical person. You have to be polite. If you're in sales, you really have to take care of people, like I do. Um, depending on what service you're in, but there's a level of accountability and requirements and something being asked of you. So you have to perform, you have to grow. And if you want to go up in the company, you most certainly have to really, really transform and perform at a higher level and be able to do things that the average worker can't do. Versus, like I said, like I was saying in welfare, that there's nothing asked of you. There's no accountability. If you want to, I mean, if, I mean, it's it's like it's, it's to some degree, it's almost like being retired, except in some cases you get even more money. Where, well, if I like may I said, it, interject real quick. Sure, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I just had a thought pop into my head, but uh, say it, it sounded like you were saying that having some sort of welfare structure automatically uh, encourages unaccountability. Yeah, I, that is certainly true in some ways of how our current welfare system is structured. Yeah. But, you know, there is a way to do it, you know, in which there is accountability. Like, for example, you know, we'll, we'll help you out, but you need to have an, a job within six months. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to, ha- you know, you need to be married to that woman who, with whom you have a child. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But yes, please yeah. continue. Yeah, and that's a really good point too. I mean, wh- let me let me give it, let me tell a personal story. And okay. at the risk of sounding judgmental, which in this context of the story, and it's talking about traffic on the road, I'm completely willing to come off as judgmental. So uh, earlier this year, I took a trip with my girlfriend at the time to South Dakota, specifically Sioux Falls. Now, I've never been to South Dakota before. I knew nothing about the state coming into it. I knew that we had a couple friends staying there. They were going to a Skillet concert, and they said, hey, do you want to come and stay in our hotel room with us um, and come see this concert with us? We don't know if we can get you tickets, but it'd be nice to have you down with us anyways. And I said, absolutely, that'd be fun. because I said to him, I, can, I mean, if there's tickets available, I could probably find some scalpers. But I said, I'm not able to afford tickets for a skillet concert right now. 
but I'd be happy to come down and stay in the hotel with you guys. I can afford that. So we went down. Um, I gave my girlfriend a call. I said, hey, babe, do you want to go? I know this is so last minute, but do you want to go down to South Dakota? And she said, yeah, my family's originally from South Dakota. I'm asking my parents. Yeah, it's good. Let's go. So we go down, drive four hours down to South Dakota, and it's a, it's a fun drive. And a couple scenic areas. We get down there. Um, actually, have a pretty good time in, in Sioux Falls. It, it seems like it... it, it it's always a shock going to a different state where there's legalized gambling. You're like, oh, okay, so there's this and that. Anyway, so we have a great time, have a blast. And the traffic I noticed down there while we're down there is, oh, people on the road for some reason are driving really, really competently. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on, but it just, it's, it, it, it just, I noticed that, right? Being, I was an Uber and Lyft driver for two years, and you really start to notice traffic <laughs> pretty quickly. And what parts of a particular city and a state has more competent drivers? Anyway, so I'm just mentioning that. So I'm down there and I'm noticing that people are driving really well. People are driving smart. You don't even notice idiot drivers. And I was like, well, this is fantastic. So I just notice it. I don't think much of it. I put it in the back of my mind. We pack up. We say our goodbyes to our friends. They're going back to Minnesota. And then we're going to head back to, and Hannah and I hop in the car. And we're driving back. We kind of drive through some blizzard stuff. It's kind of getting snowy. But people are out of their way. You know, they're not causing problems. We get back home and we almost within about 15 minutes of us hitting the border of Minnesota, all of a sudden I noticed people are driving totally differently. I don't know why. I, I don't know what it was right off the top of my head, but I'm like, well, why are people driving like idiots all of a sudden? And I'm like, I mean, people are driving super, super slow in the fast lane. Um, you got a bunch of people that look and i'm gonna i'm gonna do this in front of the camera it's like look at people were driving you know you've got people that are driving and they're kind of like paying attention to the road they're not on their phone um they're not adjusting things there's got a lot of these people on the road were driving around really beat up crappy looking cars rust buckets not not not, not all of them but i noticed as a more of them as i'm getting into the state a lot of them driving really, like they're not even paying attention to the road they're like hey you look drive by you're going like like what the fuck? And you it, it, it just it's like you don't give a crap about the road and i'm just thinking about this and i and i i mentioned that to, to my girlfriend i'm just like is it just me or are they are they just suddenly just stupid drivers because i've lived in the state for 26 years and i'm not saying all minnesotans are stupid drivers but like what's going on and she's like i don't know what's going on and so i mentioned it to someone at the gas station of all things and you want to know what the person said to me they said you want to know something interesting about minnesota and south dakota is that when people in South Dakota, there's a limit of how long you could be on social welfare. In Minnesota, there is no limit. And I'm just like, well, that's interesting. And then I'm driving home, I drive off Hannah, I head back and I'm just like, well, I've lived in Brooklyn Park for in Brooklyn Center for like my whole life. And being an Uber and Lyft driver, like I said, I've noticed that there's some of the stupidest, effing stupidest, dumb, idiotic drivers that have, out of all the parts of the city, Brooklyn Park and Brooklyn Center are some awful ones, right? And I'm just like, what I know. I almost wrecked my, sorry, I almost wrecked my dad's El Camino in Brooklyn Park. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why is there this concentration of stupid? And why are there so many? I, I thought to myself, how many? Why are there so many out-of-state license plates? And then I was like, okay, so out-of-state license plates, really crappy-looking cars, really expensive cars that are in really crappy shape. Like you're buying a car you can't even afford to maintain, which is like this is dumb, and you drive like a like a like a like a butt wipe, right? And just thinking about all these little pieces floating around. And then I'm having a conversation again with a gas station attendant. And some, no, 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 correction. Going back is the same gas station attendant I was talking to. 
They said not only is there a limit to welfare in South Dakota, um, apparently in Minnesota you can live out of state and you can still pick up your welfare checks. And I'm just like, that's it. That's what's going on. And I'm like, that explains that, that that's that, that's the reason why uh, I was like, that's why people drive like crap in Brooklyn Park is because so many people are from out of state and they're just coming and picking up the welfare checks and leaving and they drive like crap. It's like, what the f? It, like, if that's the reason why people drive like crap, it probably isn't. But if it is, it's like, well, that makes so much sense. Anyway, I noticed that, and we were talking about welfare, and I'm just like, I wonder if people. I wonder if someone did a study about if the percentage of people on welfare that drive like idiots. Anyway, I don't know, but that's just a personal story experience that I connected the dots, and it's like, if that if that is the reason, like that would be, it it it'd be. It would explain a lot. I don't know if it does or not. It, like I said, maybe I'm just being judgmental, but it's funny. Anyway, so I thought I'd just mention that. That was a personal story that I had. That's like, if it's true, like, that's, that. like I said, it would explain a lot. Hey, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly theoretically possible. Uh, uh, just me being me, uh, how people drive translates into welfare policy is a bit of a a bit of a stretch for me but you know i i can sort of see your point you know there's definitely a difference between uh welfare aimed at sustainable or sustenance versus welfare that is oriented towards uh, what's the word i used earlier my my it's nine o'clock at night my brain yeah. tends to fart worse than my grandpa at this point. Like you said, too, it's like it, it probably is a stretch, but rehabilitative. That's the word I was looking that's, for. That's, yeah, that's the word I'm looking you're looking for there. So, like I said, it's probably a stretch, but a more like I, like I was saying kind of earlier that there's this moral decay when people are like when you're when you're on welfare and it's. You, you, there's nothing to prompt you to get off of it, right? There's nothing like you could just stay on this forever. And then, I mean, I'll give you an example too. I, I met this one author. I, I will say, sorry, uh, I will sort of interject here and say oh, yeah. this is the different. No, this is the danger of welfare geared towards sustenance versus rehabilitation. Exactly. Uh, well yeah. ordered rehabilitation because they're, rehabilitative welfare can be uh, put into a wrong direction. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Uh, for example, if I had an example, and you know what, it just left me. That's okay. It'll, when it comes back, but just interject again. I, I trust our 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 audience is pretty smart. I'm pretty sure they get my point. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And you know, I, as we're building up more listeners and uh, to the, uh, I know we're trying to keep this like. Try not to have any swear words in it, but my brother's Discord server, I just want to give a shout-out to you guys if you guys are listening. Hey, I wanted to personally thank you guys for watching our pilot episode last week, and if you like this episode too, just let us know. But I want to personally just thank you while I'm on the subject of thanks for watching for sure. Um, our Honest Angels uh, Company Heroes 2 server with Commando Card and Valdor, and I also wanted to thank, uh, if there's guys watching it from... Uh, uh, gov server on discord i just want to thank you for watching as well just while i'm on the subject of it but um one thing i was going to say is there's this other example i had where i knew this author i met when i was working at the movie theater when i was a lot younger 
and he used to go to the college I went to and I met him. I thought he's a cool guy, bought him some popcorn and some drinks because I just wanted to be generous because he was an author like I was. So I'm like, that's great. And he's published and he says, I make a living being a published author. And I'm like, that's really cool. And so I look the guy up when I get home and I find his blog and I find out that with this particular guy that I had met when he told me, yes, I am in fact a published author and my primary income is being an author, like publish, self-publishing books or publishing books, whatever it was, I find out, no, in fact, his income was not from being a published author. His income was that he decided I'm going to convince the state that I have bipolar disorder enough where I can't function in society and I need indefinite welfare, which he was able to get. And his entire family, his two children and his wife were able to totally content themselves on the income they were receiving i think she had a part-time job i believe on and off i don't recall but this author was just like and then he then he wrote this blog post like i feel kind of guilty because i feel like i'm letting my dad down but at the same time i'm just like this is a pretty sweet gig and all i have to do is just ask my my audience of 10 people of what should i watch on netflix this week and i get to go complain about being a parent and sit in my car on my laptop and come up with whatever stories I want and don't worry, I have to worry about making income on it or not. I just have to see it on the shelves. And that, that's kind of the attitude he had. And I was just like, the reason why people don't, since we're on the subject of just welfare, just for example, the reason why people don't like it or scrutinize you for being on it is that the rest of us have to work 40, sometimes 50 hours a week just to sustain a living. Do we want to go to work sometimes? No, but we keep doing it because we love, we care about ourselves, we care about our families, and we want to we want to live. We don't just, you know, in a lot of cases, we don't just sit and beg on the streets because it makes some pretty good money doing it if you know where to go. But we we think it's, it's an ethical thing, and it's also like you have to work to not just get ahead in society, but just like you have to take care of your own needs. And sometimes you don't want to go to work. It's fine. But we're working hard to for for our family, and you're just sitting on your butt, and you you get a check just for doing nothing versus we have to earn that check. It People don't like that. It's like, well, that's not – I mean, number one, it doesn't seem fair, but number two, it's like you just played the system, and you you can do whatever you want. Great. So you have an endless vacation, and the rest of us are just going to go out on with our lives where we have uh, – you know, we've got so many days of vacation every year. So anyway, it's uh, he he. I learned that, and then I unfriended the guy on Facebook, and then I just never had anything to do with him after that because it's like you're just this is this is ridiculous. But um, just like I said, I mentioned that, and I mentioned the the, the driving story too because it's just like it just it's just like it, like I said, it's like it's an environment where there's like there's no accountability that, and that's that's kind of the thing and. I was mentioning Stefan Molyneux earlier because he was the one that pointed out that you're not in an environment where you're going to be pressed to back on anything. You don't have to be, um, there's no moral requirement there. You don't have to develop a skill. You're just, you're set and you could just sit and rot and then you're still going to have money in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Which in a way, I guess, can lead us to the uh, third role or the uh, third. third tangent of a healthy society. Now you have the, uh, the church. We sort of mm -hmm. touched on the family. Or the church and the state. Wow. The state, yeah. yeah. And now we can move sort of 
a brief touch on the family, and I don't think that'll take too long to cover, especially when I don't have that in my show notes. Uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting to get this far. <laughs> when you have a lot of self-confidence and you know how to improv and a slight idea of a direction, you know, sometimes things turn out really, really well. And so far, so good. Indeed. And, you know, that brings us to the role of the family, which is supposed to be, you know, the primary teacher of the next generation. And, mm. you know, in terms of, you know, education, uh, general education, and in terms of virtue. And off the top of my head, you know, primarily centered around love. You know, what, you know, the love where, you know, you see your fellow man. You know, this is where you learn that you have to help him. This is your responsibility, personal responsibility, to help him. You now, not to just pass it off to Caesar and have him take care of the poor for you. you now, and I was actually reading uh, a papal encyclical, and you know, a lot of people, you know, I believe, are getting the wrong impression of this. You know, and I am talking about Fratelli Tutti, but. Uh, what does that mean, uh, so far, the impression uh, Fratelli Tutti is Latin for, or not Latin, I'm sorry, Italian for, you know, all brothers, as okay. in we are all brothers. And you know, I, I have my uh, some doubts about it as well, but my what I overall get from what I've read so far is, you know, if you give money to the charity or if you have this and that social welfare program, you know, that's fine, but that's not enough. You personally have a responsibility to go out you, know, you find the uh, Pope Francis uses the story of the Good Samaritan uh, and I think the point that is driven or one of the main points that's driven is you, know, you have a responsibility to be that Good Samaritan not just to mm -hmm. uh, pass off money and let somebody else take care of it although that's what the Good Samaritan does in the story but you know, you also have a responsibility to dress his wounds. You know, get him. You know, if he's hungry, get him something to eat. You no, know, you know, like I said, don't just pass your money off and. You know, which is which is good in its own right. Which it is good in its own right, but it's not enough. It, you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's also an interesting point too, because it, in a way, it's like. On the surface, it's like he passes his money off, but in a way, he kind of hires the the innkeeper. I believe it's the innkeeper to take care of him in a way, which is kind of different. Like this guy has money, and he's got the resources and the time and a big heart, good Samaritan. That I care about this guy who had just had the crap kicked out of him, and he's broken and bloody on the street. Yeah, I'm gonna stop and give him a hand and take care of him. And yeah, I got a commitment otherwise, but like I'm gonna make sure you're still taken care of. Like, it's more like I'm. Well, like he, said, he puts his commitments personal... aside. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what he does. And um, at the end, he has to go, but just like there's this, like you said, the, the key point, I, and I, th I believe this is the point Christ is trying to make in the story, is that you're taking, like you said, there's this personal responsibility. I have to do what I can, and I'm, I'm obligated to do what I can, even if I don't feel like it or not. Like, if someone's in need, what's the expression that if you see good, um, what, what I think it's either a proverb, but basically the idea is like if you see that there's good to be done and you have the capacity to help and you choose not to, you're complicit in 
not helping that person, right? Exactly. But yeah, like and the point I'm trying to drive home is, and this, and you learn this in the family is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, mm-hmm. Just the overall, uh, and you also learn that the family is also there to show stability. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And of course, that train of thought derailed on me again. So, uh, but you see what I'm saying, correct? Yeah, I do. I think, I, and I won't go on a tangent here about family because I'm kind of reading a little G.K. Chesterton's kind of made me rethink my position on or my understanding of like what role does family play in people, um, in people's lives. It's it's the way G.K. Chesterton put it. It's the most critical and most important institution in the world. We should have a, an episode just devoted to discussing about family dynamics and the role of, of you know having a mother and father in a child's life and like you said that stability we should have a, we should have a show where we talk about that and ask the viewers exactly. what do you guys think about family and what do you guys consider and let us know what you think of the show or not just our show of our discussion but like what are your thoughts add some thoughts to our thoughts and let's have a and then let's turn that into some episode content as well like let's all discuss it what does it mean but yeah um it's an important institution and it does provide that stability like you said Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that that train of thought briefly came back, and I totally forgot it. But anyway, no, it's okay. And and I only wanted to briefly touch on it because you know we are. I think we're coming up to the. I think we're past the fifty minute mark. Yeah, we're just about finished with the show here or the episode today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we I suppose we could go on a little further, but we got about quite frankly, I'm running out of steam. Left. Yeah, and you what probably had a long day, um, and we could always cut it mm. cut it a little short today because we because I we we talked about some pretty big subjects. It's like so many pieces yeah, you know, ties together and all this stuff. Yeah, and we we gotta let the audience digest it. So I think we'll just save yeah. the family dynamic for yeah, like either next week or the week after. Yeah, well, I'll ask um I'll ask some of the guys in Discord and see what Discord Discord and ask the guys what they. What 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 subjects they like? What did you guys enjoy? What did you like and dislike about the episode this week? And what would you like to see more? Because we're trying to do an episode, trying to do a show that's about what you want to watch, right? What do you enjoy listening to? Is the show captivating enough? Is it engaging? Is it something you want to keep listening to? Even if we're just two guys in our you know living rooms and basements and laptops just filming a podcast, what what's what can we do to better serve you? Because what's a show without an audience right so you guys are you know the reason why we're here we're just using this as an excuse to discuss but it, it's about and you next guys. week i should and i want to get a chance to get it into my show notes <laughs> yeah because show notes are important yes because sometimes we stick with them and sometimes we kind of go off but um yeah i think i think that's a yeah. pretty pretty good place to to uh stop it i i don't have a book quote this week <laughs> Um, Shame. <laughs> no, it's it my fault. Funny. I I brought up I brought up the episode at literally the last minute. So yeah, th- yeah this is my I, fault, and I folks. I didn't get your text. So yeah, you you text me. Te- yeah, you next time just text me in advance. Oh, I'll go look up the book quote because I I quoted a poem, and as I said to my brother, I didn't realize that the poem was really really long winded, and I put a little bit of my dramatic effect on it that. In his view, didn't land. Maybe it didn't land. I haven't seen the episode, uh, that part of the episode yet. Didn't land. I thought I'll, it I'll landed perfectly. Okay, well that's good. At least one person thinks so. I I thought <laughs> it. 
I, I enjoyed reading it and I thought I thought it was going well. Maybe maybe some people feel otherwise that's okay. Um I'm not a Yeah, we're, we're all entitled to our opinion. But it's hard to tell because you're just talking to a camera. You don't know. You don't have any audience really there to feel it. But anyway, it was a long quote. I'll keep them shorter from now on and more concise to the point um, moving forwards. But yes, this week I don't have a book quote. So I'll, I, because last week it was more than enough for two. So just go back and listen to that. Yeah. It's a book quote for this week. <laughs> Good one. Uh, any case, uh, any final tangents before we round up, wrap it up? I'm good. I got a bunch out today, but yeah, I I think we we got a lot off our chest with, with this episode and uh, a lot of derailed thought trains. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's what our show is about. That there's goodness. You go you go off on this. You get lost in the forest and you come out. Suddenly, find out that you're exactly where you needed to be the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got actually. I just thought of a book quote, Gandalf. Oh, go ahead. You re- All right, you ready for it? Not. I'm ready. Not not who. What what is it? It's not all who are who wander are lost. So just thought of that. Yeah, the one the one line from Lord of the Rings where, yeah, just because you're lost doesn't mean just because you're wandering doesn't mean you're lost. Anyway, yes, there's your book quote. There we go. All right. And I think uh, that's about it. So, folks, we want to thank you so much for watching. Be sure to like, hit that like button, subscribe, and leave a comment, comment. if you must. Please comment. Yeah. Any, yeah. We're here for you guys. We're here, we're here because of you. So, thank you for that. Thanks for watching and thanks for, uh, thanks for engaging. Um, and from those content, from the, from the likes and all the feedback and the subscriptions, um, we're able to understand, get an idea of like what more content you guys want to see so we can tailor the show more to your needs. Well said, well said. But in any case, I think let's uh, call it a night. So let's God bless night. everybody. God bless. You yeah, have a good night.